Support for Talking Art on WVIK comes from the people at Quad City Bank and Trust, helping the local community with their banking and financial needs for more than 20 years. Information is at qcbt.com. This is Carolyn Martin, and I'm talking art today with John Lovett, a former presidential speechwriter and host of the irreverent panel show podcast, Love It or Leave It. Hello, John, and we're so excited that you're coming to Iowa. I'm excited. Thanks for having me in Iowa and on this show. Now, you're appearing on stage at Hancher Auditorium in Iowa City tonight, Thursday, January 30th. And for those people who are not familiar with your show and podcast, what will happen there and why must we all get online right now and buy tickets? We must. Uh, so Love It or Leave It is a week in review. Every week, uh, on the show comes out Saturday mornings, but we record it live in front of audiences across the country. And we basically walk you through the biggest and most important news of that week, but we do it with humor and with quizzes and with rants because, you know, for, I think for a lot of people, these past three years have been really hard. You know, they've been difficult for people. Uh, I think a lot of people have gotten more involved than they ever have before. They paid attention more than they ever have before. But also, I think there's a lot of worry and concern for the country, concern about the state of our democracy. And for, I think, for people that listen to the show, for me, just as a, you know, a person going through it with everybody else, it's nice sometimes to be in a room full of people going through that experience together, figuring out ways they can help together, laughing together, being mad at the same things together, because it's a good reminder that we're not alone. And by the way, what's happening on television is crazy. Um, and uh, there's a lot of people who feel the same way that you do. Mm -hmm. And you're on stage with a variety of different people. It could be a comedian. It could be an actor, a journalist. Yeah, so, and I know you oh, have many friends God that are would be more than happy to join you. So it's there's a there's a rotating cast of characters that are up there with you. Yeah, we like to talk to candidates, we talk to journalists, we talk to comedians, we talk to activists, you know, the other night we did a show, we had Governor Deval Patrick on to talk about his long shot bid for the presidency, we had Kara Swisher to talk about uh Facebook's uh complete lack of interest in protecting our democracy from misinformation, and we had comedians to talk about the latest episode of The Crown and to mock Republicans on Fox News who are dissembling about impeachment. And so every week we try to cover not just what's happening in politics, but what's happening in pop culture, what's happening in entertainment, what's happening, um, you know, when Taco Bell discontinues the Double Decker Taco Supreme. You know, these are the stories that are very important to me. That, that's an important one. That's the Taco Bell story is very important to me. It's here's the thing. You know, they've replaced the Double Decker Taco with the Double Decker. I'm sorry. They've replaced the Double Decker Taco Supreme with the Double Stacker. And Big Taco can can put all the PR and propaganda out there that they want. It was a huge mistake. Yeah. How dare they? How dare they? Who will be performing with you tonight in Iowa City? Can you say Yeah. That? So we have a great group of people. You know, I, we're coming to Iowa we're going to be there through the caucuses. We're going to go to campaign events. We're going to talk to organizers. We're going to try to talk to candidates. We're going to try to see a caucus. And so I wanted people at this show that could basically give listeners and also people in Iowa just a sense of what they're seeing. So we're going to have Rob Sand, who's the uh, Iowa State Auditor and also happens to be a lookalike of Tommy Vitor, uh, one of my co-hosts on Pod Save America. Lynn Lenz, a writer and editor from the Cedar Rapids Gazette. 
Uh, we have Stacy Walker, the county supervisor for Lynn County, and then Michael Moore, who's in Iowa as a Bernie Sanders surrogate, is going to come by uh, and be on the show as well. So we have uh, a pretty good lineup of people to give everybody a sense of just what's happening in Iowa and why it's so important. Well, caucus day is just four days away. That's Monday, February 3rd. So this is really perfect timing. So I'm gathering that you have not been to a caucus before. Is that correct? I've never been. I've been to Iowa a number of times. I came to Iowa in 2008 when I was a junior aide to Hillary Clinton when she was running for president the first time. I've actually never been in a caucus because I think I was, I was, volu- I was uh, organizing and, 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 uh, working on other things. I was a speechwriter during that campaign, uh, but uh, I'm excited to go see a caucus. Mm-hmm. Some people have likened it to a game of musical chairs, but I was thinking earlier today, it's really like your pawns in a chess game. Uh, and it's it's really strange. You don't vote with a number two pencil. You vote with your body by physically standing with a group of people who are aligned with the same candidate. So it's it's really curious. I think it's great. You know, there are a lot of people that are critical of Iowa's role uh, going first. And I think there's a lot of valid criticisms, uh, certainly around um, the need to bring in a lot of diverse voices that are part of the Democratic coalition. And also for a lot of people, it's challenging to spend three hours on a weeknight caucusing when maybe you worked all day or maybe you have a shift that night and it's hard to move. There are a lot of challenges to it. However, the democratic act of a bunch of neighbors getting together in a room and talking to each other and convincing each other and moving around a gym or, or you know, moving around a classroom or wherever the caucus takes place, there's something really inspiring about that too. Mm-hmm. There is, you know, and it, and just like your show uses conversation and dialogue to kind of try to increase our understanding between people. When you're in a caucus, especially if you are in a group that doesn't meet the 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 fifteen percent threshold to remain viable, then you have to realign yourself, and other people will come and try to convince you to join their camp. and And there are a lot of criticisms about Iowa being the first state to to caucus. But I would say that Iowans are are very educated about the issues. We've been spending a year now listening to all these candidates and and people are really aware of of exactly how one candidate compares with the, with the next. So it's a great state to live in if you're interested in and politics. You, and you you guys take it so seriously and I think that's great. I just hope you know what you're doing, you know? I hope you get this right. <laughs> it's so well, we don't always get it right. But I would say that Iowa correctly predicted um, Obama's win and also several decades prior to that, Carter's win. Although last time in 2016, the Iowa Republican caucus voted for Ted Cruz and obviously he didn't make it. But it does correctly predict it a fair amount. Well, whether or not it predicts it, it influences it. You know, Iowa coming out for Barack Obama in 2008, you know, changed, uh, changed the way people perceive the race. So it's not just that it predicts it, it shapes it. Now, before you started doing what you're doing now, um, being so immersed in in political podcasts, you started as a political speechwriter, actually writing for Democrats. How does one go about becoming a presidential speechwriter? So there's no there's no one path. There are a lot of different ways to become a speechwriter. Some have been novelists, some have been lawyers, some have been journalists. I was a 
basically, <laughs> I wouldn't even call myself a struggling comedian because that would imply that I was in some way succeeding as a comedian. I was just an amateur. I was a paralegal <laughs> and I was going to stand up open mics at night and I ended up writing a bunch of jokes for Hillary Clinton. I had been a junior press aide for a senator. I had volunteered on a few campaigns, but I wrote a few jokes for Hillary Clinton when I was, I guess, 22. And a few weeks later, when they suddenly needed a junior speechwriter, I threw my hat in the ring and I submitted a bunch of uh, press statements I had written and I had written some college op-eds. I was really just really starting out. I didn't have much to show for myself. But because I think I had helped with those jokes, it helped put me over the the finish line. So I started by writing jokes and then slowly but surely gained my footing writing more serious speeches. And after three years as a speechwriter in then Senator Hillary Clinton's uh, Senate office and on her first presidential campaign, I uh, moved over to the Obama White House when uh, President Obama won in 2008 and became a presidential speechwriter for three years in the first term. I read somewhere, I don't know if this is true, that you won an anonymous contest to be able to work with Obama um, campaign. Was that I feel like contest makes it sound a little bit too exciting. It was more that they solicited speeches from a lot of people. They basically cast a really wide net to try to find another speechwriter in the Obama White House when they went uh, after the transition. And they gathered speeches from from all kinds of people, from journalists, other speechwriters, other political people, others who had just thrown their hat in the ring. And uh, when John Favreau, who was Barack Obama's chief speechwriter, and others in the in on the Obama team were going through and reading the the versions of uh, the same, everybody kind of wrote the same speech. You know, it was almost like a uh, a final exam in college. They everybody had to give given the same set of facts and had to write basically you know, what, what would be in a, an exam, like an essay, but in this was, in this case was a speech and they pulled mine out, uh, which, uh, is how I got the job. You know, I was wondering about this with speech writing, you're, you're essentially writing a monologue for somebody else. And now you're doing something so different. You move from a serious endeavor, like presidential speech writing to, to comedy and the fast paced dialogue that's in your show. How, how did you make that transition? So jokes in speech writing are a tool and, when you're trying to write a speech, whether it's for a senator, whether it's for a cabinet member, or for the president, you're trying to tell a story. You're trying to tell it in a way that is memorable, that um, captures the imagination of people listening, and that and that uh, quickly leaves an impression. And jokes are a really good tool for doing that. You know, I always I always think about why it hurt. You know, when 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 a comedian is failing, they say they're bombing. And when a joke falls flat, it really hurts, right? You know, if somebody tells, I mean, it's why we call them groaners. Why is it that, you know, if you were to watch a, tel- a, te- a TV drama and you didn't like it, it wouldn't leave you feeling, you wouldn't call it a groaner. It doesn't give you a bad feeling. But when a joke doesn't land, when a joke doesn't feel right, it kind of hurts. And I think the reason it hurts is because jokes are a way for the teller and the person who's hearing the joke to say, we have a shared sense of the world. We have a shared sense of what's absurd. We have a shared sense of subtext. We understand the world in a similar way. We're part of the same team. We're part of the same group. 
so that when I when 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 somebody tells you a joke and it surprises you in a way that delights you, that surprise is there knowing you well enough to be able to trick you, to be able to uh, play off your sense of the absurd in the exact same way. And and so when a joke lands, it says we're on the same team. And when it doesn't, it says I don't think we're on the same team at all. Get away from me. You're not part of my group. You're not you're not part of my tribe. I don't want to I don't want to listen to you anymore. And so I think a joke can be a really effective tool of relating to people in a way that's memorable. You know, in uh when when President Obama gave a state of the union, we wrote it, there was a period of time where he was talking about um uh, uh, reforming the government and fixing parts of the government that hadn't been working well. And we had this joke in there. And the joke went like this. It said, uh, one part of the government handles salmon when they're in freshwater, and then another part of the ga- uh, government handles salmon when they're in salt water. And it's pretty complicated, but you wouldn't believe how complicated it gets once they're smoked. Now, that is a B minus joke, I would say, at best. And there was like light, there was like, there were some groans and there was some, you know, I would say pity applause from the members of Congress. But then this incredible thing happened the next day. I actually believe it was NPR that polled people about the State of the Union. And they said, and and they, they said, what do you remember? And now if you, they did a word cloud, you know, they did one of those word clouds. And uh, they did one word cloud that have w- w- that was about what the speech covered, and then it would so it was about the economy and it was jobs and it was just these big words that you'd expect healthcare, foreign policy, military. The speech was the State of the Union, and those were the topics that were covered. But when NPR did the word cloud on what people remembered from the speech, the word salmon was huge in the center of the cloud. You would have thought that Barack Obama gave a State of the Union about salmon that also happened to have mentioned the economy. And it was just an example to me about how humor is a way to cut through the noise in a way that's memorable, uh, that, that reaches people where they are. And so I always just think of, of political humor and you know the jokes we try to tell on stage. It's just a way to talk about really important issues in a way that's entertaining, but also in a way that um, speaks to the, the emotions people have about what the country's going through right now. Mm-hmm. So humor can create camaraderie and make us feel like we connect with someone more, belong to a particular group. But you can argue that humor is a necessary survival skill. I mean, it's it's actually physiologically good for us to laugh. Oh no, it's it's definitely a survival skill. I mean, I'm I'm five foot seven. I don't think I'd have made it through high school. <laughs> <laughs> In 2017, you were part of a group which formed Crooked Media, a progressive media network. What else does Crooked Media produce? So Crooked Media, I, it was started by me, by John Favreau, who was Barack Obama's chief speechwriter, and Tommy Vitor, who worked on the National Security Council under Barack Obama. Basically, after the election in 2016, you know, we had spent 2016 doing this podcast, talking about the election, and basically really trying to implore people to get involved, to do their part, to knock on doors, to donate, and of course, to vote. And the reason we said that is what we believe that, you know, the media may be broken in some ways. Um, but I'm going to say it like this, you know, the media is broken in a lot of ways, political coverage, especially there is great journalists doing incredible investigative work, doing tough interviews, doing great coverage. But there's also pundits and analysts and consultants who treat politics like it's a game. And that's one of the one of the 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 
broken parts of our system that allowed someone like Donald Trump to get within earshot of the president's presidency to begin with. And so once Donald Trump had won, I think we, the, the, the three of us were talking and we realized that we didn't want to, you know, I was a, a TV writer, you know, John and John and Tommy had left the white house and were writing speeches and were, were doing work for, for, um, had a kind of, uh, had a, uh, political consulting company, but, but, but the three of us felt like we didn't want to go back to that, that if we really believed Donald Trump was an emergency, we had to do our part. And so we decided to launch Crooked Media in January of 2017. We launched with a show called Pod Save America, which is a conversation about politics that uh, doesn't just talk about what's broken, but talks about what each of us can do to fix it. We launched something called Vote Save America, and you can go there right now. It's votesaveamerica.com, and you can uh, learn about uh, how you can get involved wherever you are and how you can make the biggest difference with either donations or knocking on doors or, or your vote. Uh, in 2020. And we launched a bunch of other shows. Now we have, you know, I think we have a dozen shows right now. We're growing all the time. Keep It as a as a pop culture show uh, with friends like these as a show about our differences and, and, and what divides us and what unites us. Hysteria is a show hosted by uh, Aaron Ryan uh, that is uh, basically a group of women talking about the most important issues facing uh, women in our politics um, Pod Save the People, hosted by DeRay and a great crew that walks through some of the most important social justice issues. We've had documentaries like This Land, which was a look at a murder on tribal land in Oklahoma and how it affects uh, a murder that took place well over 100 years ago. And the, and the fact that, some of, that that crime connects to some of the really important and fascinating issues taking place uh, on tribal lands today. So we've built a real network of diverse voices. and. Basically, what we try to do is make sure that we are delivering podcasts or TV shows or videos or newsletters that entertain, that inform, but that also inspire people to act in their communities, to to remember that they have the ability to shape our world. There's so much of our political media right now that treats everybody like they're like they're cynical observers, like they have like everybody watching CNN or MSNBC has a pair of binoculars and they're just watching uh, uh, democracy take place like they're on a safari. But we're not cynical observers. We're, we're participants. We're all frustrated participants. And the more we remember that, the more we remember that we're not observing something, that we are part of something, I think the more uh, of a difference we'll be able to make and the more of an impact we'll be able to have in politics because there's such a big echo chamber that's designed to tell people every single day that their voice doesn't matter, that nothing will change, that everything is just a game, to be cynical. And the more that we can decide to fight that, to reject that and say, we shape what happens in this country and we don't have to accept the, the cynicism of the politicians or the pundits that we see every day, the more we remind that, to, the, more that, the more we can say that to ourselves and convince our friends and our neighbors and our family of that, the more we'll be able to do to fight climate change, to protect people's health care and to win elections. That's something that your show is, is going to show us, um, that being able to laugh together as a community is just such a great thing and, and does help dispel that cynicism. So John Lovett, it's been so great to talk with you and welcome to Iowa. Great to be here. Thanks for having me again. What should I eat? I would like to eat something absolutely horrific. Oh, no. Everything is you know delicious I mean. here. I mean, I mean, I mean <laughs> obviously it's going to be delicious. I mean that it's, you know, my body is not a temple is the point that I'm making. Okay. Then how about a giant pork tenderloin that sandwich? Sounds great. Okay. 
Love It or Leave It, the live and hugely entertaining political show hosted by John Lovett is coming to Hancher Auditorium in Iowa City tonight, Thursday, January 30th at 8 p.m. We could all use a good laugh right now, so do yourself a favor and purchase tickets online at hancher.uiowa.edu or at crooked.com slash events. This has been Carolyn Martin, Talking Art in the Quad Cities for WVIK. Our theme music is provided by a Quad City legend, the late Ellis Cal. Thank you.